We're so glad you're here tonight. Good to see you. This is a great crowd, great Sunday night crowd. Thank you for coming and being here. Uh, tonight, we're in uh, Matthew 11, the uh, verse 25, the first part of 25. We're going to move through two or three verses tonight. Tonight is the invitation that Jesus gives to people uh, to become one of his, to become believers, to become Christians, to become followers of Jesus Christ. This is the invitation. You know, all your life you think of different ways to reach somebody. You know, some people cook them a little thing of banana nut bread and give it to them and hope they'll become Christians. And some people, uh, you know, make nice presents and give to them. And I, I think all of that is very well-meaning. I, I think it's, uh, you know, if the methodology works, then that's fine. Um, tonight, we're going to see the best presentation of the gospel ever given because it, it's our Lord. Our Lord gave uh, the invitation. And, of course, you know, we uh, want people to respond in faith and we want people to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. So tonight, um, we want to get the historical context right. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated Jesus and they wanted him to really be killed by this time. Uh, they wanted him to fail in what he was doing. Uh, they came to almost everything that he said, hoping that he would say something that they could persecute him for. And so tonight, we see that going on. We also see some folks that have been healed by him and their followers of his because of the physical healing. Perhaps some because of the spiritual insight that they gained, and perhaps some Really, not believers, but just thankful that uh, he healed them. And then we have the disciples that are there that continue to grow. You know, we've been following them now in the book of Matthew all along and in their call and in being sent out to do the work. And so tonight, uh, you know, think about the disciples that are sitting there and listening to this. And we think that they're honing their message, how they can help share, share the gospel in a better way. All right, verse uh, 25, beginning of that. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, one of the things that Jesus is doing here is making his allegiance uh, with his heavenly Father known, making it very clear now, can you imagine what the Orthodox Jews were thinking that were sitting there? They were all about to go absolutely nuts because they thought that was ultimate heresy. Uh, so, you know, that's a part of, of what's going on. Uh, he is repeating this invitation that he has given in other occasions, in other places throughout his ministry. Matthew here calls attention to what? might have been his first and major Galilean ministry. As I said last week, those of you that have been over to Israel, uh, you've been where Jesus was doing this. It was around the Sea of Galilee and those areas. We know 
we believe, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. And we know those little towns around there he visited and preached and taught and uh, shared the gospel with them. Well, here is uh, Jesus offering to those people, perhaps, a final appeal that they would say yes, that they would commit their lives to Christ and to the uh, Christian way. After performing these countless miracles, uh, Jesus has his uh, bona fides, if you will. He has his uh, uh, credentials, if, if that would be better. He has his um, resume in order. He's gone through this whole uh, land. He's been uh, healing people. He is giving the fact that he is divine after doing all the stuff that the people have seen. He started by doing the miracles, and then he has moved tonight in this passage to talking about his divinity, his messianic credentials that he is uh, wanting to share with the people. After his preaching in detail, uh, the message of the gospel and the Christian life, you know, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That is the ethical, theological uh, basis uh, for Christianity. You know, some people uh, along the way have asked me, well, what's the most important thing in the Bible? You know, I can't learn it all. I can't understand it all. What's the most important thing for me to learn and understand? And I, I talk to them a little while, and I say, well, if you want it in a nutshell, it's John 3.16. If you want a little bit more expanded version, it's the Sermon on the Mount. If you know the Sermon on the Mount, then really you have the crux of Christianity in your heart and in your mind. And that's really enough added to your profession of faith that you can be a dynamic witness for the Lord. And that's what... Is happening here. There's there's been a foundation laid. Uh, he has preached this message. He sent out the twelve in chapter ten. You remember that we talked about that. Then he sent out the seventy in Luke ten, and the people of Galilee had the greatest opportunity to learn of God and His way, of Jesus and His way of salvation, that was presented here. Um, by Jesus himself. This is the greatest gospel invitation that has ever been given. Ever. I mean, Jesus was giving it. And uh, he had all these credentials lined up behind him. So this was uh, the prime time, so to speak. The, the, the uh, mountaintop moment for these people to make a public decision of faith. Yet in spite of all of that, there were many people that were there that refused to believe. There were some uh, out of uh, anger because they were the Jewish leaders and they didn't want anything to change, and they certainly didn't want people following Jesus and what he was saying. There were some that refused to become believers because of indifference. You know, it's... Uh, like some people today, they'll go to a play one night and a musical one night and a, a big picnic one night, and they just kind of 
uh, move around and do interesting things. Uh, they're indifferent to the real spiritual crux and core of our faith, our life, our testimony, everything that we're involved in. The majority willfully rejected Christ. He's giving the invitation, and they reject it. Uh, Though the nation had turned its back as a whole on the Messiah, he continued to call um, to himself those that did believe, those that would believe, who were weary of carrying their own heavy spiritual burden, who were... Uh, those that were seeking God's grace and God's love. You know, within every person that's ever been born, there is a, uh, a part of us that calls out to the divine. You know, some people call it the mountain God, or they call it this God or that God or some God. Everybody has got any sense at all knows that all of this uh, didn't just pop out of nowhere. Uh, the philosophers would say there was a prime mover. There was somebody that started all this. It didn't just poof. Uh, somebody started. I mean, if you've got any sense, you, you know that. Well, Jesus' early period of popularity was ending. You know, at first what he did is he healed people. And he preached these uh, very eloquent uh, messages He was uh, smarter and more informed and endowed with all this spiritual truth. And every time the Pharisees and the Sadducees would argue with him, he would make them look like idiots. And he would turn the Old Testament passages uh, against them because he knew it better than they did. And he knew the implications of it. Sometimes by rote memory, we can memorize a whole bunch of things, but but it means nothing if we can't appropriate it to the issues, the arguments of the day. And Jesus certainly uh, could do that. Well, opposition was growing in amount and in intensity. The intensity, of course, came from the Jewish leaders. Jesus would soon make clear the only possible alternatives that people had was to accept him or to reject him. There's no gray. No gray area. It's acceptance or rejection. And we're going to get to that uh, later on. A person is either for Christ or they're against Christ. You know, people that take the Lord's name in vain and people that abuse uh, other people and people that act in a hateful way all the time, uh, they might say that they're Christians, their whole family are Christians, But if they give no indication of it in their life, in their vocabulary, in their testimony, then I seriously doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Billy Graham used to say, and I don't know if he's still saying this, but I remember when I was real young in the ministry and I would listen to all of his sermons and all the things that he said. And he said on numerous occasions that probably half the people Uh, in the churches of America were lost. And that really kind of, you know, you think, well, gee, why would he say that? Well, probably because it's true. And, uh, you know, it's it's, uh, harsh, but it's true. Um, 
Jesus had just presented the God of judgment and wrath uh, in chapter 11. You remember what we did last Sunday night, verses 20 through 24. Uh, it was a harsh judgment against sin, against folly, against all these things. We did that. Now tonight, uh, Jesus is presenting the good news of the gospel. He's presenting the love, uh, the grace, the caring uh, of Almighty God, of his own heart uh, to the people. He answered and said, uh, now this is a, uh, answered and said is a Hebrew idiom uh, that means to speak out openly. You know, a lot of times in life, I wish that I had not said anything. Have you ever been in a meeting and you said something and you realize later how stupid that was to say that? Um, I was pastoring a church in Fayetteville, Georgia, and one night it came before the church about the budget. And the organist of the church was a young lady and she got up right in the middle of the meeting and said, you know, I think that I should be paid twice as much as I'm being paid. She said, I'm very talented, and I've practiced a lot, and I'm here for all these services, and I need to be paid twice as much as I'm being paid, and I deserve it. At the next business meeting, they fired her. They did. They fired her. And uh, they said that was totally inappropriate and a stupid thing to do. And they fired her. Um, you know, sometimes we, we say things that, you know, really didn't come out quite like we meant them or we say things that are premature for some of the people that are there. You know, one of the things that, I like to do in a church is to kind of keep everybody up to date on what's happening. You know, I, I pastored a, well, I wasn't pastor. I was on the staff of a church in Dallas years ago and things would come up in business meetings that I'd never heard of before. And I was on the staff of the church. I hated that. I just hated that. It was like I was being kept in the dark for some reason. So what I try and do in every church that I've ever worked in, is I try and keep everybody on board with what's happening. And, you know, to not keep any secrets. You know, if you keep secrets, uh, people eventually understand what you're doing, and that's not a good thing in a church. We're a family. We're a church family. And the family needs to know what's going on. You remember how when we started to do this building, we had numerous meetings. We talked about the cost. We talked about the size. We talked about what it would be, what it would do. Uh, we tried in numerous instances to uh, get everybody on board. And then we had the bond thing, and we voted on that. And then we sold all the bonds, and we rejoiced in that. And then I asked everybody to come into my office and look out the window, and I would talk about all the, you know, the different things uh, that are out there. And uh, you know, I'd like to walk everybody through and to tell them, you know, what's coming, what's going to happen. We have a few people uh, today uh, that are saying to me, you know, I really don't like to walk as far as I'm walking. Uh, 
and I say to them, come earlier. You know, you can park right in front if you uh, come earlier. I don't know if that satisfies them, but, uh, you know, really, that's all we can do right now. And it's going to be awkward for a period of time. You know, it is. There's no getting around that. Uh, but as we look down the, you know, the line, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. I think about the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are going to be educated, hopefully some led to the Lord in that building, some great, great choir rehearsals over there. Um, you know, I hope someday we can figure out how to move this organ and this piano and we can add about 30 or 40 cheers to our choir. And uh, when people come in on Sunday morning, we'll just blow them away with the greatness of our choir. I love, I love the choir. We, ha we have a great choir. Uh, yeah, we do. Sharon and uh, Paula did a great job in the special uh, this morning. And, you know, the music ministry in this church is so important. Well, it's important to say what needs to be said. Um, Jesus uh, did that. He spoke out. See, this is really uh, the beginning of the more overt part of his ministry. This Hebrew idiom here, answered and said. Uh, he did not hold things back. Jesus' invitation to follow him was universal and open to everyone that would come on God's terms. Not on their terms, on God's terms. Uh, every faithful pastor, evangelist, witness, Sunday school teacher is disappointed uh, when people don't respond. You know, many, many times in my life I've been out to somebody's house during the week and talked to them about the Lord and, and taken them through the sinner's prayer and they've made a profession of faith and we prayed together and, you know, talked about it and I gave them, you know, a Bible or something to help them and where to read and what to do next and all of that. And then I would tell them, you know, well, now this Sunday you come forward and make public your decision that you made here tonight and all of that. And then on Sunday morning, they come and sit there and they don't come forward. You know, it makes me want to shoot myself or something. You know, I'm thinking, well, what in the world did I do wrong here? I mean, this is about as clear as it could possibly, possibly be. And, you know, you, you think that. How, how could I make the message clearer? How could I be more persuasive? Um, you know, how could I uh, take a, a new approach or a different approach that would be uh, better? Um, yet, yet we also know that here Christ presented the gospel and the majority of the people didn't respond. So what makes us think that we could do a better job than Jesus did? You know, I mean, you, you've got to kind of think about that. If men could reject salvation from the very lips of Jesus himself in the midst of the awesome authenticating miracles, then uh, it's a little presumptuous of us to think that everybody is going to fall at the feet of Jesus on Sunday morning at the time of invitation. 
That just isn't going to happen. Well, as Jesus compassionately invited his hearers to come to him and be saved, he set forth some essentials that constitute uh, an invitation to salvation. So we want to look at those. Let's look at the last half of verse 25. I hope you have your Bible open. 11, chapter 11, verse 25, the B part, and verse 26. That thou didst take these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to the babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. Now, Jesus' specific uh, cause for praise here is that the Heavenly Father didn't reveal everything to those that were arrogant and proud. You know, we, we have those that would never humble themselves to come to Christ. We have those, I always, when I'm talking about this, I always think of Carl Sagan. He was real smart, and he always wanted to kind of uh, say something that would diminish anyone that didn't believe what he believed. And, of course, he was a total pagan. Uh, you know, he wrote all these books about outer space and all these things, and he thought he was the smartest man that ever lived. He wrote a bunch of books that were bestsellers, and, you know, he had all the affirmations of the world, and yet he didn't know Christ. He didn't humble himself and become like a babe before the Lord Jesus himself. Well, he thanks his Father, the Lord God Almighty, that the first step to salvation is humility. It's humility. It's not by accident the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. And people always say, well, what does that mean? It's saying blessed are the humble. That's what it means. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom belongs only to those that are humble. The wise and the intelligent sarcastically refers to those who are intelligent in their own eyes. They think they're intelligent, who rely on human wisdom and disregard God's wisdom. The Lord does not exclude smart people from being in his kingdom, but rather those who trust in their smartness, who think they're so smart that if they didn't think of it, it's probably not right. Paul was a brilliant, highly educated scholar. Everybody, even his foes, recognized that. He was absolutely brilliant. Anybody that could write all those epistles that he wrote of the deep theology and, and all of the uh, deep material that he dealt with, anybody that can do that uh, is a genius. And, of course, he was. Uh, he did not forsake his intelligence when he humbled himself and became a Christian. It's not intelligence, but intellectual pride that shuts people out of the kingdom. Intelligence is a gift of God, but when it is perverted by pride, it becomes a barrier to God. God's trust uh, is that we will come to the point of humbling ourselves. 
You know, if we come in and we try and make deals with God, that's just ridiculous. If we come in saying, well, now I'll do this and I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that. I've heard people say that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to follow this part of your word. I'm not going to follow that. I know better than that. And, of course, I think to myself, well, there's some other things you're not going to do. You're not going to go to heaven, idiot. You know, you, you want to you say that to some people. The wise and the intelligent include both religious and non-religious people. Religious or irreligious, the proud person will not submit to God's wisdom and God's truth and therefore excludes himself or herself from the kingdom of God. The religious man who relies on tradition or good works to please God is just as far from God as the atheist. It's not tradition that's going to get us there. It's not the rituals that are going to get us there. It's not the promises of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes that are going to get us there. It's not any of that. The means God uses to hide these things from such people is the darkness of their proud, unregenerate hearts. They just can't see and they just can't hear. Just as wise and intelligent does not refer to mental ability, but to a proud spiritual attitude, babes does not refer to physical age. Now, when you've seen this in the scripture, did you think that was just babies, just one-year-olds? It's not. Uh, this is uh, talking about a capability to be humble. A baby is totally dependent on others to provide everything it needs. It has no abilities, no knowledge, no skills, no resources at all to help itself. In some ways, that's the way we become as we stand before the Lord. We humble ourselves and say basically, Lord, I've sinned. I have not believed in you. I have erred in my heart and my soul and my mind. And I want to correct that now. And I want to trust in you. And I want to follow your way. I want to go your way, not my way. My way led me to sin and degradation. I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. Many, many times, I'm sure Ross and Ed uh, and Jim have all had this many, many times, where somebody comes up to you and says, well, what is going to happen to the people that are retarded and the people that just really can't have a consistent line of thought? What, what is going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the babies, the chronological babies. What's going to happen to them when, when they all die? And, of course, when people ask that question, it's usually because somebody that they know or a brother or sister or a friend or something uh, has some kind of mental deficiency. God takes to himself all of those babies, retarded people who are not able to choose him. Um, that's, that's obvious in scripture. You know, we wouldn't worship a Lord that would let a, 
a baby suffer for an eternity or a person that was mentally deficient. I mean, that wouldn't be the, the God that we know, the God that we love. We couldn't serve, we couldn't follow a God that would do that. Uh, that would just be beyond comprehension. Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and you know, babies are little bitty tiny children. And if something happens and they die, they go to heaven. There's no question in my mind about that. For those that uh, are somehow slow, they go to heaven, every one of them. I don't think there's any question about that in Scripture. Um, You know, when people ask you that question, they're always greatly relieved when you share those uh, verses, those ideas with them. When they become, like a baby, utterly helpless, which many are, you know, that's when the Lord reaches out and takes them in. The question that's always been in my mind is, uh, I probably shouldn't even think this, but I always wonder if the babies are going to grow up in heaven. I always have wondered if those that are a bit slow always are healed of that in heaven. And, I, you know, I don't know, and that's not, that's not clearly depicted in Scripture. But I've always wondered about it. And it's, I know it's going to, you know, the Lord says that heaven is greater than we could ever expect. So I, th- I think it'll be something like that. I mean, I, I can't prove that biblically, but I, I think it will be something like that. It is to spiritual babes, those who acknowledge their utter helplessness in themselves, to whom God has chosen to reveal his truths of his kingdom, of his life, of his way. It is the poor in spirit who humbly confess the ways of God and their dependency upon the Lord. Babes are the exact opposite of the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis who taught a totally different way of pleasing uh, the Lord. Well, Let's look at one more verse. Uh, I've got about five more minutes. Let's look at uh, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now, This uh, passage is basically a further explanation of verse 25. This is just a a bigger commentary on that, expanding the truth that God has chosen to reveal himself to those that humble themselves, that are spiritually humble, to the helpless, not to the uh, proud and self-reliant. For they don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus unequivocally equates himself with God, calls him my father. Uh, Here is one of the clearest statements of his deity. You know, sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, well, I don't know, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. I don't think he was divine. Well, get this passage out. Say, well, do you believe in the Bible? You know, this is very clear in the Bible. 
This is God's book, a book that God gave to us. You know, God believes it. So if you believe in God, you ought to believe it. You know, that follows. That Jesus is himself, God, is the heart of the gospel. Because apart from his deity, he could not save a single soul. There'd be nobody saved if he wasn't divine. No heresy so corrupts the gospel and robs it of its power as teaching that Jesus is not God. Jesus is God. Always has been, always will be. Philosophy and religion are utterly incapable of reasoning out God or his truth. You just don't go about it that way. God must break into the darkness and emptiness of man's human understanding and show himself before man can know him. And that, of course, is what the incarnation was all about. We want to finish up with the first part of verse 28, where Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Man must give himself to the Lord Jesus Christ in commitment before it becomes effective. We have a self-will. We are not puppets on a string. We make choices. And these choices make the difference for us between heaven and hell. We we decide if we're going to come to Jesus. You know, Jesus went to the rich young ruler and witnessed to him. You remember that? And he said, no, no. I don't want to do that. He didn't say this, but he probably was thinking, I have too much money to do that. No, I don't want to do that. And all these people that are listening to Jesus preach and teach, many of them, the majority of them, as we learn, the majority of them say, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. Well, we have to make a decision, most important decision we ever make in life. I think when I met and married Cindy, it was a very, very important decision in my life. But coming to yield my heart and life to Christ is is more important. It's the most important decision that any of us ever make in our life. That's it. That is the foundational piece of all of our life. We're either dabbling around in nonsense or we are serving a risen Savior. We accept him or we reject him. There's no gray. There's no middle ground. Man must give himself to the Lord. That's what the scripture says. And that's what I believe. Tonight, uh, like we always do, we want to give a time of invitation when people can respond to the gospel of Christ. Respond to his love, his will, respond to his sacrificial death on Calvary's cross, respond to what he has done for us, and give our hearts and our lives to him. Tonight, if you'd like to do that, or if you'd like to come and join with us and be a part of our church family, we'd love to have you. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If you'd like to make a decision for Christ, just slip to the aisle and slip down to the front. Let's stand together as we sing.
you pray all day. Come on up here, brother. Lead us tonight as we go. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, come to me. When we come to him, we find forgiveness. We find hope. We find eternal life. We find companionship for all of this life. May that be our experience as we leave here tonight. May we sense the guiding hand of the Lord upon us. Bless all of our loved ones. Bless our church family members who are ill. Lord, give us a great week, and may we lift up this risen Savior. I pray in his name. Amen.